joined by Andy Singer. Hey, EJ. Hello, and Andy. Uh, the holiday came, Thanksgiving was wonderful, and then the clock turned into December and everything is terrible. <sighs> yeah, and unfortunately we knew we'd be here. So we're going to talk about the details of the lockout kind of as we get more details. Right now we really don't have a lot over kind of what they're bargaining over, how far apart they are on things. We've gotten some kind of leaked uh, leak proposals, nothing, nothing too crazy. But Andy, you and I weren't both hockey fans. Uh, the word lockout is not nice uh, to hockey fans. The only thing that could, could be worse if, is if uh, Gary Bettman replaced Rob Manfred as commissioner. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. By comparison, Bettman's starting to look real good, and I didn't think I'd ever say that. But I mean, man. Bettman's had a lot of labor strife under his time. I, 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 um, I mean, Martin Brodeur could have like, another forty wins if not for for Bettman. Yeah. Um, Andy, how, how are you feeling, big picture about about the lockout? Big picture, I'm miserable over it at the end of the day. I think really what this comes down to is if you, if you pay attention to the history of the labor movement in baseball over the last 20 years, really what this comes down to is that the players have had a void in leadership on the Players Association side for a number of years now, and they really kind of just handed the owners um, – deal after deal basically since the early 2000s so the players have recognized that they're getting a much smaller piece of the revenue pie and they want to try to recoup that but at the end of the day i think they're going to struggle to do it all in one negotiation process and on the owner's side i think the owners are neglecting to understand just how much money is at stake and i think if baseball looks back to 1994 or looks across the aisle over to what happened to hockey in the early 2000s uh, there's a lot at stake here and i think that this negotiation is nowhere close to over we don't even have real fully fleshed out proposals in public yet so i think this lockout's going to go on for a while and as a baseball fan i'm just sad yeah, you know, I, I'll be much more sad if they lose games. I, I feel like, unlike those NHL lockouts, there's a low probability of them losing games. The Nobody is asking for something like a salary cap. So the first NHL lockout, the owners were asking for a salary cap, and they were willing to not play hockey to get there because they weren't making any money. The NHL was, uh, at least uh, the owners reported, and I think they were right, to say that they were losing money in the 2000s. And so they had to have a pretty, uh, they were willing to to lose a lot of games because there was really no skin off their back if they lost games. The players are making money. The owners are making money. It seems to me like the incentive here is to not lose a lot of games. If you were to lose, say, half a season um, and you were, you know, and the players were able to, you know, use that to strike a deal to, or the owners to strike a deal where they, they get another, you know, 10% on top of what they're currently owning, that math doesn't really work out, right? That lockout at that point doesn't really become worth it. And so I, I think this is going to get resolved. Um, I think it's good. I think it's good that we're not we're not hearing a lot publicly about it. They're not trying to win a PR award. They're just trying to, you know, they're negotiating behind the scenes. I think the key word there, though, is yet. I think both sides, as both sides had pretty much resigned themselves to the fact that there was going to be a lockout of some kind. And the fact that the owners decided to use that as a mechanism to bring the two sides to the table. I don't think that really bodes well for the future of negotiations. Sure, things can happen at a faster pace when there's a deadline, but I think this is a very artificial deadline, number one, and I think it's still pretty early in the process to be uh, taking what some might view as a nuclear option and playing at the end of the day. I think a lockout 
is a negotiation tactic and it is a PR move by the owners. The, that's the that's ownership saying what we've heard from the players' association so far isn't anything that we can work with or do business with. So we're going to lock you out and wait until you, you know, straighten up and come back with a better offer. And we'll hear those as they as they come in. We were both kind of scouring the internet before this episode. We couldn't really find a lot of details over over what what's the hang up, what they're really negotiating. There's been some kind of leaked offers going back and forth. So we're going to hold the lockout talk until we have have some of those details and say it sucks. Uh, we don't get any more fun offseason transactions, but we did have a flurry of transactions before the lockout, and we have you know, some other Yankees related news to go to. So I, I want to start with that. Uh, the Yankees chose to tender some contract to people. They had a bunch of players who uh, there were, there was at least some consideration that they would not tender a contract. And the first was Gary Sanchez. He's going to get something like a seven and a half ish million dollar contract. Uh, there was some thought that maybe he wasn't worth that. Maybe the Yankees would try to go somewhere else with catcher. And yet they decided to tender a contract. W- what did you think about this decision? I I believe wholeheartedly in tendering Gary Sanchez a contract. Look. I've been pretty close to the uh, most prolific Gary Sanchez apologist on the internet, and even I've been disavowed of the notion that he's going to be anything close to the MVP candidate that I expected him to be. However, the state of catching across baseball is really thin right now. I mean, Kyle Higashioka is somebody that the Yankees should look to upgrade, but the reality is that he's fine as a backup catcher when you start looking around at what else is out there. Gary Sanchez is in the same boat. Yes, he underperformed and was maddeningly inconsistent again, but the truth of the matter is he was just slightly worse than middle of the road by by starting catcher standards in 2021. So I think the Yankees will hope for some bounce back and cross their fingers and see what they can get on the trade market if something comes up. But I think the thing to do was to tender Gary Sanchez a contract because somebody would have grabbed him pretty immediately, I think. And there will be uh, lots of time this offseason to discuss catcher, and we're going to do that. Uh, but there are no offseason moves until the lockout is over, and so for now we're going to table that discussion. Uh, another player they decided to tender a contract to was, a, I think, a very interesting was Miguel Andujar. Um, I thought he would be gone, frankly. Um, he's going to end up getting paid a little bit over a million dollars in arbitration, so not all that much, but he's going to take up a 40-man roster spot. And um, uh, I suspect uh, we'll start at AAA. Well, what do you think about the decision to give Miguel Andujar a contract? What I'll say is that my eyebrows were raised. Uh, I say that because when the Yankees decided to DFA Clint Frazier, I thought the writing was on the wall for Miguel Andujar, who's kind of in a Clint Frazier-esque uh, situation with the Yankees right now. I, he's kind of positionless. He's been injured He's not somebody that I think the Yankees are counting on at the moment. So I was a little surprised to see the Yankees tender him a contract. But on the flip side, they still have one uh, roster spot left to fill on the 40-man. They didn't sign anybody prior to the lockout. So at this point, I think Andujar is just keeping a spot warm on the 40-man. And I don't think they'd have an issue moving him either via minor trade or via his outright release in the event that the Yankees needed to add somebody. So I don't know that Miguel Andujar starts 2022 on the Yankee 40 man, but I think he's safe for now. See, I think he does start 2022 on the 40 man. Cause I think he has a ro- he has a, uh, an option remaining and I could see the Yankees saying, okay, you know, we were injured last year, but when you were at triple a, you were pretty good. 
Um, his numbers at AAA and, and it's only 63 plate appearances, but are phenomenal. You know, he batted 333, he slugged 630, hit for a lot of power, um, struck out less than he walked. Really looked very good. Still didn't have a position. I, I don't think anyone you know watching him play in the major leagues uh, was confident in him as an outfielder. Uh, but you could see him rebuilding some of that value, maybe being a trade piece next year, maybe being a guy who fills in at DH. You know, maybe he learns to play first base. You know, I could imagine a world where Miguel Andujar is a uh, an effective major league player next year, and so it's not my money. So let's let's pay him a million dollars to play AAA and kind of see how he does. Again, I'm, I'm a little surprised as well, but um, I, I assume that's the logic. I don't think he's starting the. I, I don't want him to start uh, the the season on the roster. I think that'd be probably not a good thing. Um, just because he's not versatile enough for this current Yankees roster. He doesn't have a position. He can't really play anything. He can't play first, third, left field, um, none of it particularly well. And I still want to see him hit in the majors. Yeah. Go for it. I I still think Miguel Andujar, with a full complement of at-bats, completely healthy, which I really don't think Andujar was. I think he fought through hand and wrist issues all year, which is death to a hitter. I think we have evidence that when he's healthy, the guy hits. I think even as a DH, there's value, and Miguel Andujar's bad at the major league level. See, I, I disagree a little bit because his stat cast numbers in the one season that, you know, his rookie season where he was impressive were really bad, and they suggested bad at ball luck. And, you know, it's not like he's, he's a fast player who you could expect to exceed his stat cast numbers a little bit. He's, you know, he's just a hitter. And he didn't make particularly great contact that year, but he, you know, he ended up with a woba fifty points above what Sackhouse would have predicted. So I'm, I'm less happy about that. You know, I could, you know, the guy has hit points in the minors, but he hasn't hit tremendously in the minors. So I don't know. I'm, I, I think this is much more of a lottery ticket. But you know, the Yankees can afford a lottery ticket. I'm okay. I'm okay with the Yankees buying lottery tickets. Uh, I just don't. I don't have a lot of faith in this particular one. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny when you look at, if we were to look at the only full season's worth of data that we have for Miguel Andujar in terms of stat cast, the separation between his ex-WOBA and his ex-WOBA based on contact. Uh, his ex-WOBA is indeed low relative to his WOBA, but his, his ex-WOBA contact is right on the money with what his WOBA was. So his quality of contact numbers based on his launch angle are actually pretty solid, at least in that single season. And outside of the fact that his average exit velocity this year was down, I think that's just based on sample size and his max exit velocities are pretty much in line with that 2018 season. So I think he's somebody that healthy, knowing that he's going to get at bats, might be a different player. I mean that 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 difference would be would assume that uh, let's say he he starts taking more walks, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you take the contact and you get, you you have a guy who can walk a little bit. All of a sudden his his, his woba can look pretty good. Um, you know I, I'm just a little I'm a little less yeah I, I I'm I'm less optimistic that he'll he'll get there, um, and even still he needs a position. Right, that's the other problem. Is we need, you know, you have, you have a DH. We've already talked about, you know, a guy like Luke Voigt possibly leaving this roster because of the the Yankees DH crunch. I, I don't think the Yankees are going to get rid of Luke Voigt and replace him with Miguel Andujar in the roster. Yeah, that's uh, but fair. That that's a conversation for another day. We have a new hitting coach. The New York Yankees uh, they fired Marcus Thames and PJ Pilater during this offseason, and they added uh, they promoted from minor league their minor league hitting coordinator. Dylan Lawson to um, to the the major league roster. What are, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think he'll be a good hitting coach? I think that 
a move like this is exactly what I expected the Yankees to do. I think the Yankees wanted to embrace biomechanics. I think they wanted to embrace modern hitting analytics and biomechanics and uh, and the manner in which the Yankees have revised their training staff. I think that all plays into it. So I, I thought that the Yankees did a ton right at the minor league level in terms of what they're doing with their hitters. I think the minor leagues had a banner year uh offensively and I think Dylan Lawson was part of that solution I think Rachel Balkovec was as well so I think someone like Dylan Lawson makes a ton of sense and he was I from looking around he was very well liked within the industry and the Yankees felt like if they didn't promote him to the major league staff somebody was going to grab him this offseason and you know he um uh He's going to get to hire his staff. So the Yankees have said that they probably will hire three pitching, co- three hitting coaches total. So you might see some other people from the minors get brought in, people who he's worked with, like Rachel Baclavec. Um, You might see somebody from outside the organization, former player types. You know, there, there's there's kind of lots of places where they could go here. Um, I just want to underline the the idea of the Yankees having a banner year. They had a lot of players have like unexpectedly strong seasons, or at least kind of fulfill their potential in ways that this just hasn't been the case for the Yankee farm system as long as I can remember. So they drafted Trey Sweeney, shortstop, came in and did exactly what you expected him to do. He was uh, this kind of this like you know sweet hitting college uh, college uh, shortstop. He comes in and he was really great. Uh, didn't strike out a ton. Had good exit velocity numbers, etc. Uh, then you have guys that we already know, like Anthony Volpe, Oswaldo Peraza, who had the kind of those kind of incredible years. Austin Wells is having a good year. You even have some lesser guys like Elijah Dunham, who's really killing, who really has been killing it down in Arizona. And I know about a lot of these guys. Uh, I've named a bunch. You can name Andrews Chopero. You can name a few others because um, I follow Dylan Lawson on Twitter, and he's got his Twitter account is just basically like. Look at this great prospect who's kicking ass. Look at it. You know, look at his exit velocity. Look at the the, the muscle he's putting on. All that kind of stuff. So um, uh, I, I'm excited, and especially if this is a a transition for the Yankees, right? If the Yankees start kind of getting younger, bringing up some of these guys, and over the next couple of years from minors, I like the fact that he's going to be the guy in the major leagues. He's going to be the guy running spring training. And you know, interestingly enough, one of the things that we talked about a number of years ago, the Brian Cashman in particular did a really nice job of finding some diamonds in the rough and making uh, valuable pieces out of them. Gio Urshela, Luke Voigt, those were you know Yankee success stories, guys who were you know really not on the prospect map, guys who had seen their prospect shine wear off and retooled their swings in the Yankee minor league system and came up. The guy that worked with those with players like that was Dylan Lawson. So I think this makes a lot of sense. I think he's got some familiarity with the guys that are on the Yankee roster and what maybe they need to change to be successful. So I think I, I really like this move. Yeah, I mean, we talked when we were discussing new hitting coaches, and the only move I would have been unhappy with would be famous former Yankee player. Yep. You, know, you hire Mark Teixeira to be your hitting coach. Um, they didn't do that. They hired a guy that, that they've been working with for a long time, you got somebody who's essentially you know, being promoted from the next rung up you know, in his job. So uh, good for him. And uh, we will be watching to see who he hires as his assistant coaches. He might have some players to coach. He might have uh, the new star player from across the big pond, uh, Seiya Suzuki. Uh, the Yankees, uh, Red Sox, and Blue Jays are reportedly interested in Seiya Suzuki's services. Suzuki is essentially the big um, Japanese hitter who's on the market this year. He is uh, primarily a corner outfielder, uh, kind of a not 
great corner outfielder, not, not necessarily particularly bad corner outfielder, who's been a hitting star in Japan. Hits a lot of home runs, makes a lot of contact, has just overall really great hitting numbers in Japan. Um, but he's a right-handed hitter, and he's an outfielder. So what, what what's going on here? I really don't know. I, I don't know what to make of this other than possibly the fact that it's also been reported that the Red Sox are in on him, so maybe the Yankees are trying to you know, uh, raise the price. But otherwise, I don't really see a fit. He's a guy that earlier in his uh, career in the Japanese professional leagues had played a little bit of shortstop. He played some third base, so there was some athleticism there at some point. But it doesn't appear that any of that former athleticism really remains. He's a good hitter. He's a patient hitter. Uh, He's credited for being very professional with his at-bats. He walks about as much as he strikes out, and he has some pop. But from the right side, and given the Yankees outfield logjam, if he doesn't play center field, I'm not sure I see a fit unless the Yankees are really set to go with some mixture of Aaron Hicks and Aaron Judge and Joey Gallo in center field. And and no one seems to think he can play center field. He has some infield experience er early in his career, but he was very young when that was the case. He has not played any any real infield um, uh, since 2014. So that seems unlikely to me. Um, I mean, I, don't know. I, I think one, this could just be them trying to bid up their, their rivals, which is possible. Um, maybe they have some creative solution in, they're, they're in mind, like moving Joey Gallo to third or, or first base and putting and, and putting Suzuki there. It, it's it is it is an odd rumor, and I'm not sure how much I trust it. Yeah, it. it I agree with you. It just doesn't seem like a target the Yankees would look at because, again, as you say, moving Joey Gallo to first pace would allow the Yankees to make a move in the outfield that isn't a center fielder. But even so, I think that a lot of Joey Gallo's value is derived from the fact that he's a good defensive outfielder. Putting him at first base kind of negates a lot of that value. I think time. it was a not-so-great defensive third baseman. I think I think they, that he really unlocked a lot of value when they moved him to the outfield. I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, was a Gold Glove nominee, right? I mean, he, or, or I think, won the Gold Glove um, in the outfield. So I don't know what to think about this rumor. Um, I'm not betting on it. Uh, but I am betting on this next rumor be very interesting. So we know that the Rangers signed Corey Seager and they signed Marcus um, Marcus Semien. So their infield, middle infield, is set for the foreseeable future. The player that uh, Corey Seager is displacing is Isaiah Kinnerfalifa, who is a really interesting player for the Rangers. He's played all over the field. He came up as a catcher. Um, he moved over to second base. He moved to third base. And eventually the season settled in as their full-time shortstop and was pretty good. Baseball reference has him at 3.7 wins above replacement. Um, a lot of that was defensive value. He grayed out at least on some some defensive metrics as a plus defensive shortstop in his first season playing there. And some uh, on some defensive metrics, he came out as a negative one. So Stack has him has, has him negative. I believe both the Baseball Reference and Fangraphs ones have him quite positive. Um, and then you know his he didn't hit great, but he wasn't an awful hitter. He stole some bases. Um, he is, I think, the best version of Tyler Wade. Should what, what do you think about this rumor of, of Falefa as a potential um, Connor Falefa as a potential Yankee shortstop? You took my line, EJ. I know. Oh, I know. We were, yeah. I, I, I told you before. I think we're thinking the same thing. But <laughs> yep, that's exactly what it was. If if to me, if Tyler Wade panned out 
perfectly. He's, uh, and had a little less speed, he's Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I think Kiner-Falefa is a really interesting player for the Yankees for a lot of reasons. Number one, he makes tons of contact. Even if it's not necessarily hard contact, he works the ball around the infield. He hit 271 this year. He doesn't walk a lot, but he also doesn't strike out a lot. His strikeout rate is under 14% over the last two years, both the injury, the pandemic short in 2020, and a full 2021 season. He doesn't walk a lot either, but then again, we all loved Miguel Andujar in 2018, and he didn't walk a lot either. So he makes a lot of contact, which is obviously something uh, Brian Cashman is looking for this offseason because they want fewer three true outcomes guys. I'm not sure that I buy into what I'm seeing on StatCast, given the fact that we have data from multiple other sources that grade him out as plus. So uh, both total zone, uh, defensive runs uh, saved, and uh, and, one and or two the other Rangers have the way they talk about him. Yeah, I think that he's a guy that very much is for real defensively. I think the Yankees could even find a way to unlock a little bit more from his bat. If you look at the dig a little deeper into the stat cast numbers, so the, the surface numbers aren't great. His average exit velocity this year was among the lowest in baseball at 85 and a half uh, miles per hour on average. His He only barreled up the ball 1.8% of the time, and his WOBA and ex-WOBA are fairly uninspiring. However, when you dig into the numbers, he actually did certain things very, very well. He hit fastballs in a really meaningful way, and the Yankees largely struggled against fastballs this year. His WOBA was a perfectly acceptable 335 against fastballs in 2021. So if the Yankees can find a way to work with him mechanically to hit off-speed pitches more like he did in 2020, and they push his OPS plus and WRC plus closer to 95, and he really is a plus defender at short, all of a sudden you're talking about a four-win player, and that's a lot more than the Yankees have had since Didi Gregorius in 2017 or 18. So uh, that's a really good player for the Yankees, and I like him better than some of the other bargain-type signings and trades I've heard about. And the price is really the question here. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that he'd make a great bench player, right? Yep. I mean, like he, you, you would love to have him as your backup shortstop, second baseman, catcher, third, you know, he, he could do all that. Um, and, uh, and I actually would love to see, you know, if the Yankees would, would be willing to use him as kind of a backup catcher type, that'd be really interesting. Um, I don't think Sonic is a particularly great defensive catcher when he, when he was defend when he was playing there. Um, but I think he is where you're aiming a little low, at shortstop if he ends up as your starting shortstop. Um, in part because, one, you still need a backup. Right now, Jose Peraza is the Yankee backup shortstop, which is not uh, awe-inspiring. Um, but, you know, the Yankees have three positions to fill, maybe four if you count third base. And so if you end up with a really good center fielder, let's say you trade for Brian Reynolds, and you end up with a solid player at first base, let's say you end up trading for, you know, I don't know, Josh Bell or something like that, I'm okay with the shortstop being the worst of those three positions. Like you don't have to have you know the star, Corey, uh, um, Carlos Correa, and then go and, and get a, a cheap first baseman, right? You can go the other way around, and, and, and that, that could work out well. Um, I but I'm a little concerned that the real Kenner Falefa is the previous couple of years before this, where he was a negative win player in 2019. He was just barely above replacement 2020. You know, this is a guy with who just doesn't have a lot of physical abilities. 
He's not blazing fast. He's not, uh, you know, anyone who's ever had any, any hit for power at any level. He's got contact, but he doesn't have, like, absurdly good contact. Um, he's just, just kind of, he kind of is just a little bit more of a, of a whole, of a whole grade than the sum of his parts kind of player. And maybe that turns into a, you know, a two to four win player, you know, right? Baseball reference had him at, had, about, had him at three plus wins last season. Fangraphs had him at 2.3, you know, that'd be pretty good. Uh, or maybe you end up with your number nine hitter who is an okay defensive shortstop and it's just kind of filling space. Yeah, to the point that he doesn't really make a ton of contact, his zone contact rate for his career, including his down years, is 92.5%, which is more than 10 points above league average. Uh, he even makes contact at seventy at a 70% clip uh, when it's out of the zone. So he does make a lot of contact. His sprint speed is in the 75th percentile in all of baseball. So there are are some he's i think he's i agree with you that he's more than the sum of his parts or at least he was in 2021 but i think there really are some usable skills there and i think it's i think the rangers did a great job at finding a way to best utilize him to create value and some of that was by necessity since they were one of the worst teams in the majors last year but i think they found a gem in kiner falefa and i think he could help a competitive baseball team in 2022 and you can see why the rangers would want to get rid of him um especially because i don't think the rangers are going to contend this year uh it feels like they're kind of building up for you know you know two plus years down the line uh, he reminds me of josh harrison in a lot of ways at least late career josh harrison and that kind of brings me to think, like, maybe Josh Harrison's available for a bench player. Right? That, that's, the, that's the kind of player who I think he's most likely to be. Uh, but, again, it all comes down to price. What, what is it actually going to cost him? The Yankees and the, the Rangers, you know, they just did a big trade over the, over the, uh, during the trade deadline, so they know each other's players. I could imagine that, that being the case. I could also imagine, you know, the Yankees throwing in someone like Aaron Hicks to that trade, uh, which, could be, which could be something the Rangers are interested in. So that's something to watch. Um, lesser... Good news is the Yankees have repeatedly been connected to Andrelton Simmons. What do you think about that? <laughs> Andrelton Simmons is a guy I love watching to play defensively. He can really pick it at shortstop. Even as he ages, he's still wonderful defensively. He just can't hit at all anymore. I, I, I have zero. If, if we're talking about Isaiah Kiner Falefa as a guy who may not do enough to be a starting shortstop, and Andrelton Simmons is well behind him on the preferability list because he's just he's he's been awful offensively for a number of years now outside of making some small sample size contact in 2020. I I, I don't want Andrelton Simmons on the 2022 Yankees unless they decide to say he's a defensive backup. Yeah, you know, um I wonder if this is a bet. Let's say the Yankees signed him. I wonder if that's a bet on Oswaldo Peraza. Where they go, you know, we think Oswaldo Peraza is really good. Uh, we're going to have a guy like Andrelton Simmons as a, maybe a minor league contract going into spring training. And then, um, and then you know, take it from there. I'm not sure if Simmons would sign a minor league contract going into spring training. Uh, but even more than Falefa, it's hard to see the upside. He was, he you know, at his peak, this is a guy who was, you know, two to, to five wins on defense. was just an incredible defensive shortstop. He had a couple of seasons where he even hit a little bit and, and had just legitimately elite MVP vote seasons. The last couple of seasons, he has hit nothing. 
Uh, he had a 558 OPS last season. He actually didn't have a terrible 2020 season, uh, but was not very good in 2019. And his defense has gone from otherworldly to merely gold glove. Uh, which is not enough to kind of sustain, I think, a, a, a shortstop on a winning team. And he has been on a lot of losing teams recently, I think, as a result. Um, so I, 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 would, I think it would be bad news if we heard the Yankees signed Andrelton Simmons. Um, it'd be good news because it means there's no lockout, I guess. But I think it'd be bad news you know, <laughs> uh, um, uh, after the lockout is over if that's, if that's what we hear. Um, I don't think he's a backup. You know, the backup player has to play other positions. He's only played shortstop. I'm sure he could be great at other positions, but he's only he's only played shortstop in his, shortstop in his career. He ha- can't hit at all, so you're talking about a complete black hole. You're talking about a guy who's not very fast, can't really run. So, you know, I, I, I'm not crazy about this, but the Yankees have repeatedly been connected to him. They considered trading for him at the trade deadline. Um, they're, they're clearly thinking about Simmons. And if Simmons is the signing, I think that means they have to – they're going big in other positions. They're signing Freddie Freeman um, or they're signing uh, or they're trading for Brian Reynolds or they're making a big upgrade at third or something like that because uh, it would look pretty, it would look very Andrew to go in as with Simmons as your starting shortstop, unless the plan is you play him for two months and then you bring up Oswaldo Peraza. Yeah. I mean, would you, as a, as a Yankee fan and as somebody who, uh, evaluates roster construction. Are you okay with it if your Yankee offseason is Andrelton Simmons and Freddie Freeman? Who's center? Who's your center fielder? In that scenario, just because I st- we still don't know what the financial situation looks like across baseball, it's probably Aaron Hicks. I think that's not a winning team. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I also have very little faith in Gio Urshula, frankly. Um, so if you think Gio Urshula can look much more like 2019-2020 Gio Urshula, then maybe you can start kind of talking about that being a, a decent team. Um, and then you have a question of what, what happens to Luke Voigt. So I, I don't think those are the only moves the Yankees will make. I think they have a number of moves that they, they could potentially make. Uh, but they have identified center field as a weakness. They said we need to go out and get a center fielder. Um, they don't think Aaron Hicks is that player. Aaron Hicks is still not playing in winter ball, even though there were rumors that he might play in winter ball. And now there's a lockout, so the hell knows what's going to happen. Uh, he is playing in winter. Oh, he is. I didn't know that. Okay, where's he playing? Uh, he's playing in the Dominican Winter League. Uh, I actually looked up his numbers this morning. They, he has one home run. Uh, he hasn't done a ton else, but he is healthy and getting at bats after a lost season. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad that he's playing. I wonder how fast he looks. That's a good question. The last picture I saw of him very, very recently, he looked very bulky up top. He really did. He, I, I remember right after the season, he looked he looked like he had gained a lot of weight. His wedding photos, I remember, or his engagement photos. He looked like he had gained a lot of weight. And he was already slowing down before the injury. His sprint speed is down to average for Major League Baseball, 26 miles per hour. Um or 26, uh, I don't even know what, what the, what the feet, unit is there. Feet per second. Yeah, feet per second, sprint, sprint, sprint speed. That's not great. Um, especially for a center fielder and a guy who's old, you know, he's, he's slowing down the way that players slow down. There's nothing abnormal about it. So, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about Aaron Hicks. Um, I, again, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up getting traded, especially if you end up with a salary minimum. Um, you could, you could imagine Aaron Hicks being a guy that some, you know, non-contending team or some, some team just needs $10 million on the books and then we'll have him play corner outfield or something. So I, I think in, in your scenario, I'm unhappy with that. And I think it's the Yankees essentially betting on a rebuild yeah i i agree with you i first of all i really do think the yankees need a substantial upgrade at shortstop versus what we saw this last year i actually think 
Isaiah Kiner Falefel is could a substantial be that upgrade. Guy. Yeah. I think he is a substantial upgrade, particularly defensively, and he does enough things that the Yankees need offensively that it's a net win. So if they did that and upgraded first base and and center and outfield depth slash center field, then I think it's a good offseason for the Yankees. But if it's Andrelton Simmons and one other piece, I don't think it's enough. I agree. I, if you ask me, okay, is it, let's say it's, Freddie Freeman, they signed for first base. It's interesting that Freeman hasn't signed with the Braves yet. Um, so it's Freddie Freeman at first base. It's Connor Falefa at shortstop. And it's someone else at center field. Not the big name players we're talking about. Not Brian Reynolds. Not Cattell Marte. Uh, you know, but it, it's someone else who, who can play a solid you know, uh, uh, shortstop and, and hit a little bit. Um, I think that's a contending team this year. You know, uh, you know, Freeman is not just a big upgrade. He's the kind of upgrade the Yankees need in a lot of ways. Um, but if if I'm going to sign a 32 year old first baseman, I'm going all in, mm-hmm. right? I'm signing I'm I'm signing a, a much better shortstop than Kenner Falefa, or you know at least Trevor Story, if not trying to bring in uh, Carlos Correa. I'm signing I'm getting a, a, an upgrade at, at at center field because then I'm betting on a lot of guys who are going to be on my roster for a while that are getting old. Um, yep. you, you, you don't, you don't sign Freddie Freeman if you're not going for it right that season. He is that kind of player right now that, that like he's, he's probably not going to be good in a couple of years and, um, uh, and it's going to be very costly. So yeah, I, I, I think it's, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't think Freddie Freeman is going to be the Yankees first baseman. I, I don't either. I still think that the prices that Oakland, uh, discussed earlier, this offseason, I, I think they're pipe dreams. Everybody knows that Oakland wants to sell prior to hopefully moving out of Oakland. So I think that prices that they get for guys like Matt Olson are going to be depressed. So I think the Yankees would 100% be in on that. They do have the prospect capital to get a, a good first baseman. So you take a young guy, a youngish guy with some years of team control, we assume, uh, like that, you get a guy like Trevor Story at shortstop, and then you find outfield depth, and I think I'm pretty satisfied with that. Yeah, and and, and really, we're gonna, we're going to start talking about kind of big for big shortstop possibilities in the next couple of episodes, and I think, um, uh, you know, I think that that has to accompany any 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 thoughts about a trade. You trade for Matt Olson, you know, maybe then you also sign Carlos Correa or or Trevor Story or something like that. Um, there's other interesting players in the A's we can also talk about, like Matt Chapman and all that. But I, th- I think that's for another episode. Um, but on that, in, in that note, I think we have a full episode in the can. So everybody, I'm sorry about the lockout. Uh, we we took our week off after Thanksgiving, and we'll continue recording uh, through the lockout. Maybe missing one one episode for the holidays uh, this coming season. Um, so thank you for listening. We'll keep finding things to talk about, and uh, hopefully we will have some off season signings and news to talk about very soon. Andy, thank you for joining joining me. Everybody, this has been your Bronx Beat Podcast. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. 
A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.